are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. On this Adjective New Music Composer Collective mixtape, we hear a conversation between Ann Nykirk and Rob Deemer about their new pieces for solo piano and mixed choir and cello. Also, just a note that we understand that Rob Deemer's feed had some audio issues going on with it. It's not much we could do about it. And schedules being what they are, we couldn't really reschedule their chat. So hope it doesn't bother you too much, but just know that there are going to be some clicks and a little bit of distortion going into it. You sent me uh, She Persisted yes. for Piano, written in 2017, which is not surprising because I'm pretty sure that came from a certain quote. That happened in 2017. That is, in fact, correct. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so do you want to give us a little background in terms of of uh, the, the, the impetus for this piece and how it came about? Sure. Yeah. So this was, um, again, written in 2017 after the 2016 election. And um, there was just a lot going on politically that... Um, was frustrating for a lot of people in the country and with the election of our president also came a lot of issues around women's rights um and this particular title she persisted came from the quote which is in my program notes she was warned she was given an explanation nevertheless she persisted which was around uh, elizabeth warren trying to give a speech in congress and being um silenced being made to leave the floor of the Senate. Um, so yeah, I just found that a lot of the things that were going on for women in leadership positions and women's rights in general to be very backwards and feeling like we were just, just not going in the right direction. And I wanted to, well, and then I was approached to write a piece for a concert that was specifically in celebration of women in music and um, a, a concert that was to be um, all female composers. So I wanted to write a piece that kind of reflected uh, how I felt uh, women were being uh, treated or portrayed or reflected in the current political climate. So that's how this piece was born. <laughs> so, um, was this a commission or was this just something that you're like, you needed to do this? Well, it was, um, more a collaboration. I was invited by, um, a former classmate of mine at Temple, Sabrina Clark. She, um, was in the process of planning a collaborative concert, um, program with, Crystal Grant, who is another composer and pianist. Crystal and Sabrina had met at a conference and are both pianists and composers, and they were organizing this concert of all piano music by women. So Sabrina approached me about writing for them and uh, participating in this concert um, series. So uh, yeah, so in a way, it was, uh, I wouldn't say a commission, but a collaboration. I was invited to to kind of join them in this um, planning of this concert and, and write a piece. So uh, the timing was such that these kind of things had been on my mind and I had wanted to write a piece in response to all of the political things that had been happening that year. And it just felt like a good venue to, to do that. So now I'm curious, um, because, uh, I, I will admit while I had written 
one or two politically charged things before 2016. I myself have found myself uh, um, writing a, a few things here and there that that had more of a political bent than I had in the past. Um, mm-hmm. Did you find yourself, I mean, is this something that is um, in line with with your history of, of, of composing, or is this kind of something relatively new uh, of, of, of incorporating politics and music? That's a good question. Uh, this is, I would not say the norm for me. Um, I did write a few political pieces when I was a student, um, mostly in the electronic music genre. Uh, and again, each time, usually around an election season. So when I was an undergraduate, I wrote one. And then actually when I was a, a graduate student and a student of Andrea Rankemeyer, who's another one of our collective, she I yeah. wrote a, a piece, uh, a much more celebratory piece when Obama was elected. <laughs> um, so I have occasionally, but uh, only really as a student and never um, in the context where I, um, you know, had them uh, performed at conferences or kind of put them out beyond the scope of a class as a student. So this is really the first time that I wrote something, um, uh, that was not for a class or for an assignment. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say it's the norm. And I I think kind of looking back on my earlier student works that were kind of politically charged, I, would get nervous at the thought of um, having them performed <laughs> or, or playing them, you know, publicly, just because I think there is, it is kind of nerve wracking to put your political perspectives kind of out in the open. Um, but it, this time it felt different because um, the rhetoric is just so different now. And I don't feel any sort of sense of nervousness by making it public that I don't think that the way that women were being treated uh, politically is okay, you know, so, um, it feels different this time. Yeah, definitely. Because it, I mean, at least from, from my non-female perspective, it seems kind of like, uh, it's, it's more about right and wrong and less in terms of what side of the political spectrum. And, and it's obviously a commentary on today's political landscape that Mm -hmm. that actually can, uh, whether or not something that we may have seen 20 years ago is actually right and wrong is now more of a political binary in terms of what side of, of the political spectrum you're on. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it yeah, it's in, in many ways, um, one would hope that in decades in the future, uh, we don't see this necessarily as a political thing. It's more of right. just a something that has to do with with women and and how they're respected or disrespected mm-hmm. in public. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, can you tell me a little bit in terms of maybe the structure of the piece and how how you know how much of the the not necessarily the narrative, but the concept of the piece, how much did that drive the musical shape of of the piece? Sure. yeah, well, there were kind of um, two kind of two ideas that uh, I kind of melded together for the musical content. And one was, yeah, this kind of narrative, um, you know, the concept of persistence. So there's a lot of repetition of, you know, single note. And um, there's a lot of dissonance to reflect, you know, frustration. And um, so those kind of musical elements were essentially to um, uh 
help kind of tell the story of the the program of the piece or the narrative of the piece. Um, and then the other element is that I wanted to pay homage to a female composer that I respect and that I um, whose music I like. So there's a section in the middle um, where I was kind of trying to channel Ruth Crawford Seeger, um, her particularly her um, uh, piano study and mixed accents, which mine is certainly doesn't come close to to the particular. Uh, I was just kind of trying to um, capture the style that she used, um, not necessarily in um, a direct quotation or anything. So there is a section in the middle that um, is meant to be homage to Ruth Crawford Seeger, and then it returns to my original idea. So there's a little bit of an ABA form with um, more contemporary, you know, a little bit of extended technique, and then uh, on the first and third section, and then a homage to Ruth Crawford Seeger in the middle. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I was, I was, I was curious about that. I'm not an expert on Ruth Crawford Seeger, but I've heard a number of her works, and uh, the texture of it did remind me of that. So you're, mm -hmm. I think you, 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 it came across, it came across well in terms of that. Uh, in terms of of uh, writing for piano, is this mm -hmm. um, is this in line with? many of your other piano works or, or did you kind of go into a new direction this, uh, for this particular assignment? Yeah, this is fairly different. And actually I have not written that much for piano, um, in general. I mean, most of the piano writing I've done has been in the context of either chamber ensemble or, uh, you know, accompanimental to, um, vocalist or a choir. So, um, this is actually the first strictly piano solo piece I've written. Uh, and so I can't really speak to, you know, uh, other solo piano works because this is the first one. But I think it was helpful. Uh, to be honest, I've, I've always been a little bit um, daunted by solo piano as a genre, just because there's just so much out there and so much really, really good stuff out there. And as a, someone who's not a pianist myself, I've always been kind of... Uh, intimidated by writing for solo piano. So I thought this was a good, actually a good way to approach it because I felt passionately about the, the title and the topic and, and the project. So, well, the audience can imagine a, a virtual fist bump across Skype. Um, <laughs> I, I am not, I am not a pianist either, uh, by any shade of the imagination. Uh, and actually I've only written before this year, I'd only written one solo, like thing, three preludes, um, mm -hmm. and and actually, uh, I just this morning listened to a recording, uh, like a rehearsal recording, of a work that I finished about a month ago for Brianna Matsky, uh, that that she's going to be premiering later this month, and and it's really my first piano piece, and so I. Everything that you just said is absolutely resonating with me, yeah. <laughs> because it's the same thing. I've, I, you know, the idea of tackling a solo piano work is really difficult for those of us who don't grow up in that in that space, and so it is really right. really challenging. And I thought, you know, the piece comes off extremely well. I would never have known that you weren't a pianist, so. Well, that is music to well my played. ears to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about this piece? 
Um, the only other thing I would add is that uh, the pianist Crystal Grant, uh, who premiered it and has performed it several times, just did a really wonderful job. And it was a pleasure to collaborate with her because she's also a composer. So when I gave her the score, she had some really, you know, insightful questions on some details of the music. So I just would want to um, acknowledge Crystal and thank her for asking me to write it and for premiering it. Well, now let's let's uh, let's listen to "She Persisted" by Anne Nykirk.
so we are going to be talking about your work for mixed choir and cello called Hampshire Hampshire or Hampshire 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 Field at Sunset um and so first of all I'd love to just kind of hear um how the piece came about was this so you wrote this for the Harmonia Chamber Singers and cellist uh, help me with his name Roman um, Mekanulov Mekanulov Me- Mekinolov. Uh so Roman is the uh, principal cellist with the Buffalo Philharmonic okay. and Harmonia Chamber Singers is a group uh chamber choir based up in Buffalo. I've been their composer in residence for several years oh. and and we kind of have a running every year Rob gets to write them a cello piece or uh, cello piece a choir piece. Um which is great because like my my uh, choral output has, you know, gotten quite a bit better after I have, uh, I have the option of, of being able to write something new every year. Oh, that's wonderful! And so, how many years? Like, how? Uh, what number of pieces is this, and the pieces you've written for them? Oh my goodness! You're asking me to remember things. <laughs> uh, I want to say I've written at least six or seven works for uh-huh. for them. So that's yeah, wonderful. it's going. It's we've we've done at least. I think there was one year that I did two pieces for them in a year. So I want to say probably six years that we've we've done mm-hmm. it. And it's been a great uh collaboration. Um mm-hmm. and it's it's fun to be able to kind of get a sense of what a group can do and what a group likes to do. And then every time I write a new piece, I tweak it a little bit more to be like, mm-hmm. okay, I know that the the women are gonna like to be able to sing within this particular range, but they get mm-hmm. ornery if I do this or <laughs> If right. I if I write too many awkward intervals, I start getting nasty Facebook messages and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's and, really great. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. And and to be able to to write a work uh for Roman, who's an amazing cellist here in Buffalo, um, yeah, it was that was that was an easy, easy assignment to take. Yeah. So did the harmonious singers um recruit him to play or did you approach him to write for them how did that work no luckily they had already recruited him to play a different piece on the same concert and so then uh they asked basically they just asked me hey roman's on the concert would you like to do this and um i had written the previous year a work for um some of my colleagues here, uh, two two colleagues, the choral conductor, Vernon Huff, uh, was conducting the university choir, and which is the big kind of broad, non-major choir, about 200 singers or so. And he asked if I would like to write a piece that year, and I said yes, very much so. And I had a special poem for him, uh, but I also wanted to do it with our viola uh, professor, mm. uh, David Rose. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this piece for viola and choir, and then I jumped at the chance of of writing a piece for for Roman and so cello and, and choir. And actually, this year I'm going to be doing another piece for harmonia. This this is going to be with uh, bass, contrabass, and choir. Mm. So so there will so have a nice set. there will be a violin and choral piece at some point in <laughs> in the future, so I can have the full quartet. Uh, so that's that's kind of fun, but the history of this is is actually it's a little um, not 
not obtuse, but it's it's definitely uh, it has a little bit of a story to it. So what is it now? Uh, 2016. So two years ago, um, I wrote a piece for the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra um, called Vox Humana, and that had uh, text because it was a, a work for English horn soprano and orchestra that's actually the recording is just coming out later this month so that's pretty exciting okay um but that that work i had never actually commissioned or asked uh, a poet to write text for a thing mm. i'd always gathered text uh from books or 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 found sources and and mm-hmm. this one i i was like you know hey it'd be fun to to ask um a poet that I had set a number of his his works, Brian Turner, and see if he would mm-hmm. want to do that. And he happened to be visiting campus uh, about, in at a good time, um, mm. and uh, and so I asked him, "Hey, would you be willing to take take this on?" And he said, "Yes." And hey, would you also want to collaborate with my wife, Elise? And they had just been married, oh. uh, maybe for just a couple of years. Um, but, uh, uh, and I said, well, sure, of course. So, um, so Brian collaborated with Elise Kuznets, his, his wife on that, on the text for Vox Humana, this, this work that I did for the BPO. And it was, it was gorgeous. It was this text that had to do with the plight of refugees around the world. It was very stunning and, and it was amazing. So, um, Right after the, they sent me the text in July, end of July of 2016, about six weeks later, Elise passed away from from a brain cancer, mm. and she I'm was so she was that. only I mean she's basically I think she was about 50 when she passed away, so mm. it was it was heartbreaking and it was. Obviously, it was just a couple. It was a few months before the premiere of that piece, so she wasn't ever going to be able to actually wow. hear the performance of it. But I was so taken with the fact that this was probably one of the last things that she wrote uh, for that piece, mm-hmm. and so um, Brian had sent me a book of her poetry that had just been published earlier that year, um, and so when the next chance that I got which was this assignment, uh, I wanted to pick one of Elise's poems and, and set it for in, in remembrance of her and, and just as kind of a connection mm-hmm. to her as a poet. Um, so, so that's mm-hmm. kind of where, where, I, where I got this. I went through it and, uh, and found this particular poem, which is it, it doesn't really have any connection to me um, other than just it's an awesome poem like it just it's so picturesque yeah. and it just has yeah. has really I, uh, rich uh, musical suggestions in in the language yeah it's just such a warm um just warm imagery in the sense of stillness i was really taken by you know reading the words and then hearing the way that you um approach them musically so I think that's a great segue. Can you tell us a little bit about musically how your um, music portrays the the text? Sure. Well, one of the things that um, 
that I like to do, if I can, if it's appropriate, is to explore the text um, bit by bit. So kind of ease ourselves into the poem rather than just jumping in and and running through. In this particular case, I decided the I, it's the first line is wheels of hay, uh, and basically I just decided to repeat that numerous times, uh, which is funny because you know just as a as a mental connection, it reminded me of um, the Monet. Uh, Hay, hay bale yeah. paintings yeah. that I grew up with, uh, you know, because I grew up outside of Chicago, so we'd always go into the Art Institute, and so mm-hmm. when I when I when I read that line, I'm like, okay, I'm 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 seeing the Monet pa- pa- paintings. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's set in, in in New Hampshire, but I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm seeing these these uh, Monet hay bales um, in various in various uh, uh, sun settings. Uh, throughout there. So, so other than that, it was really in terms of the setting, it was to write the idea of uh, trying to convey the calmness and the serenity of, of mm-hmm. the picture that Elise uh, was painting with her words through the, co- mm-hmm. through the choir and mm-hmm. then to come up with a way to how what's you know I had to kind of figure out well what's the cello going to be doing and then to to uh, to come up with a way to be able to 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 create a relationship between those two parts. Um, and so this is a, a question that's kind of similar to one that you asked me earlier, but you have a lot of these open sonorities, open fifths, and then they kind of move into um, dissonance through counterpoint. And then you have a few really lovely moments. What was the lyric? Um, one of my favorite moments as I was listening to this, there's a text that says, from next year's furrows, the braided gold will rise. And you just really think of the, you know, the wheat stalks coming up. And you move from these open sonorities kind of around D minor and A minor. And suddenly we we hear these, uh, you go to a B minor and then an E major chord at that moment. I was, I just put that down because it was one of my favorite <laughs> moments in the piece, these kind of departures from the open harmonies there. So is this language typical of your style or is this kind of um, individual to the setting of the text? In some ways, yes. I, I mean, I think it, this is this is not too drastically different than other works of mine where I, I like to, f- to create juxtapositions uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, not having them be so drastic as to be a whipsaw effect between the two, yeah. and so the idea of creating uh, this, uh, you know, using those open chordal quintal harmonies uh, to create mm-hmm. uh, that open uh, sound uh, that really mm-hmm. kind of makes it feel like it doesn't want to necessarily go anywhere. Um, right. and then when I decided that, you know, through the text, the idea of like, yeah, I think it needs to move a little bit here, uh, then mm-hmm. to jump into the more triadic harmony and then to give the cello this kind of, um, you know, not quite racing, but a much more active thing. Because of course, if you're working with someone who's as good as the principal cellist with the BPO, you you don't want yeah. to give them half notes and and quarter <laughs> quarter <No>. notes. <laughs> you want to give them right. something real like, hey, it's you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, 
you know, uh, a Barrio Sequenza, but you know, <laughs> something that's that's uber difficult. But you want to give them something where they feel like they're they're able to really kind of shine a little right, bit, right? And their skill is being utilized, and yeah, absolutely. And I I come at uh, music a lot that way in terms mm-hmm. of figuring, you know, kind of getting into the character of who the people are who wrote it. My guess is that mm-hmm. if I had written this for another cellist, it may have come out differently. I mm-hmm. might have reflected the 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 character of the person. Uh, in a different way, and the music would have sounded different, and and I'm totally okay with that. I like the idea of of letting the the personalities and and the the proclivities of the performer uh, or performers in this particular case kind of help to shape the direction of the piece because it almost for me it doesn't matter really what direction it goes in because as long as it conforms to something that they can really dig into and 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 sink their teeth into and enjoy, yeah. that's going to come out into the audience. And then when other people perform it, it's a little bit like they get to put on the costume of whoever it was that actually the music got Weird. written for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, I feel the same way. I feel like I always have a little bit more direction when I'm writing for a particular person or a particular ensemble because there's a more of a collaborative spirit that way and it's a more I feel like it makes the composition process more of a living thing when you're working you know for a particular performer um, and can get feedback from them during the process so that was actually my next question did you um, work with either the choir or the cellist during the writing process at all did you you know, get input for them or did they see drafts or did you kind of uh, just complete the whole thing before they saw it? Um, No, in this particular case, uh, I have, I have done that in the past um, depending on the piece, but stuff like this, like I've worked with the choir long enough to kind of have a good, like this, I think I've gotten to the point now where I kind of know, like this particular one, I really knew, yeah, they're gonna like this. It's there's nothing in here. It's very homophonic in nature. Yeah. Um, uh, which which this choir really excels at, and so it was a matter of just making sure that each of the lines were easy to sing, and and that when you did have these harmonic shifts, or I was asking them to maybe sing, you know, some of the slightly not dissonant but kind of uh, secundal harmonies in there that mm-hmm. that it. it it wasn't going to be difficult for them to find their pitches, so that was fine. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, you know, I sent I sent the part once I wrote the part, you know, because I almost always assume that there's going to be some adjustments here and there. Um, but once I came up with the first draft of of the piece and then sent it to Roman, he he didn't have any issues with it, and so um, we really had. I went and heard the choir rehearse in one rehearsal and then worked with them for a little bit and then we had the dress before the concert and then then it was good it was it was really that was the only time I got to work with Roman and uh he's he's such a consummate professional that I think they ran it through maybe three times and I made some comments and and adjustments and and by the time they they performed it was it was awesome Oh, that's wonderful. That's the experience we all hope for with um, these kind of Every once in a while, it's nice to have that come through. Great. Well, uh, so the other thing I was going to mention, 
It's funny that you sent me a piece for a choir and cellist because I have also written for voice and strings, not for choir, but uh, um, for string quartet with a soloist. Uh, so kind of the reverse um, from from nice. this. And yeah, and it was uh, what I really enjoyed about writing for strings and voice is really the similarities between the the instruments that in, in many ways I feel that string instruments are are very similar to the human voice just in the timbre of their sound and the warmth that they produce. So I wonder, uh, did you feel that by using cello as your accompanying instrument, did that kind of um, change the nature of your choral writing at all, especially working within an ensemble that you had written, you know, uh, other works not for cello before? <laughs> That's a good question. Um you know, really, I wanted to make sure in this particular case, because I really wanted to um, kind of dig into to the text and make sure that mm -hmm. the text was was conveyed strongly uh, that yeah. I don't. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember what the the order of things were. Uh, I'm sure mm -hmm. I wrote most, if not all, of the choral work, and then went back and then integrated the cello yeah. part, um, which mm -hmm. which for me is is not out of the ordinary. Like the idea mm -hmm. of kind of setting. I my background um, is in jazz, so the idea of mm -hmm. kind of <sighs> metaphorically setting up your 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 tune so to speak and then mm -hmm. you know almost playing the part of the soloist trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to integrate that into into the parts and i'm sure there were parts where then i'd be like no i really want the cellist to do something here so i'm going to add a couple more measures in there and give it a little bit more space right. um but it was it was really in that particular case i really wanted to make sure that the choir um was really comfortable with what they were doing and then i pretty much knew that if as long as they were solid themselves the cello was just kind mm. of kind of you know sing on top of that and, ar and around them and, right. then, and then it was kind of fun to play around with okay uh is the cellist doing something rhythmic that they were going to be able to hear and be able to um you know, find their pulse with him. Obviously the work is conducted, but still it's like, you know, just orally, are they, are they connected with him uh, with a pulse or mm -hmm. is he kind of just, um, you know, soloistically kind of flowing almost in and out of their time. So to kind of play, play those back and forth is, is kind of fun. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I think it came across really well. And I just, like I said before, I just really felt in your music, the same affect that I felt when I read the poem, that, that stillness and that warmth and that piece of the imagery of the poem. So uh, to close, would you read us the poem and uh, we will depart with the, the words of um, Elise Kuznets. And so, yes. Uh, and by the way, Annie, thank you for doing this. I, I had a great time listening to your music. And uh, indeed, we can close out with the reading of the poem. All right. Likewise, it was wonderful to discuss your work as well. Wheels of hay, sun-fired, each a sealed universe, replete, unperturbable. Shadows are sarsens here, autumn spilled on the ground, 
winter gathering in the sky. Come to bed tonight, curl your body into mine. From next year's furrows the braided gold will rise. Time enough, my love, to exhale the breath we did not know we were holding for this world.
Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.